welcome to the Birmingham Vineyard podcast. We hope you find it insightful and encouraging. If you want to find out more about us, why not check out our website, birminghamvineyard.com. Today is the final week of our fantastic series called Insights. And we've been looking at some of the less well-read books of the Bible and how they relate to us in 2022. Why don't you shout out if you're in the room or type in the chat some of the books we've looked at and perhaps a book that has stood out to you in this series. Today we're going to look at a favourite book of mine, the little 25 new verse New Testament letter to Philemon, which is at the back of your Bible after Titus and just before Hebrews. And this letter would have fit it on a single sheet of papyrus. Actually, if you've got a Bible, turn it up now to the book of Philemon. If you're looking on a device, I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. As a lawyer, I love learning and studying the techniques of persuasion. And this letter is a powerful example of personal persuasion. One writer called it a little masterpiece of diplomacy. And the fact that this letter was preserved and became part of our New Testament suggests that the persuasion worked and that there was a good ending to the story. So today we're just going to work our way through the letter And we're going to look at Paul's introduction in the first three verses. Well, then we're going to look at Paul's prayer in verses four to seven. And finally, we'll look at Paul's plea in verses eight to 20. And the title of my talk today summarises the whole book. It's Reconciliation into Partnership. Reconciliation into Partnership. Now, as we read this letter today in 2022, there's a huge elephant in the room that we need to think about. And that's the question of slavery and what the Bible says about it. Because this letter is all about a runaway slave. A slave is somebody who does not have the right of refusal. It's where humans are treated as the property of others. And at that time in the large cities of the Roman Empire, as much of a third of the population were slaves. Now, you may have studied William Wilberforce in, in school, bringing about the end to sla- the abolition of slavery in the 19th century. But slavery is still alive and kicking in the 21st century. As an immigration lawyer, I regularly represent people who've been forcibly brought to this country to work as prostitutes, as drug growers. They're in slavery. 40 million people are estimated to be trapped in modern slavery worldwide. One in four of them are children. Almost a quarter of them are women and girls. In 2019, in the UK, the authorities identified 10,000 potential victims of modern slavery. And I want to say now that human slavery is abhorrent and antithetical to the kingdom of God. 
Because at the heart of the message of Jesus and the kingdom is the fact that we are all created in the image of God. That Jesus came and died to set us free and that we are all one in Christ. However, when we read the New Testament, it seems sometimes on the pages that there's like approval for this oppressive and brutal regime of slavery. So I just wanted to give us some quick thoughts to help us today. You know, in the ancient world of the New Testament, slavery was part of the social structure. And in the absence of a democratic system, it would have been impossible for Paul to successfully abolish it in one stroke. The best way of helping slaves was to secure just and kind treatment by their masters. And that's what Paul does. Have a look at Colossians 4 verse 1. In fact, in one place, 1 Corinthians 7 verse 21, Paul urges slaves to seek their freedom if they can get it. In 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 10, Paul lists slave traders amongst those he considers ungodly. And in a number of Paul's letters, he states that in Christ is neither slave nor free, that we're all one in Christ Jesus, that we share of the same Holy Spirit. And finally, we come to this letter of Philemon and we see Paul on an individual basis, radically transforming a slave master relationship as he practices the ministry of reconciliation. The great New Testament professor F.F. F. Bruce noted that the letter to Philemon brings us into an atmosphere in which the institution of slavery could only wilt and die. Now, before we leave this topic today and dive into the letter itself, I wanted to give those who wanted to a chance to take action, because one of our values as a church is to make a difference. So if you want to, and you've got a phone, get it out now and open your web browser. And on the web browser, go to the website antislavery.org. Antislavery.org. And on that website, there's a tab that says take action. I want you to click on that tab and keep it open. And today, when you get home, I want you to see what action you can take as an individual, as a family, as a small group to help end modern slavery. Maybe it's through giving. Maybe you want to get involved in campaigning or joining a student group. And actually at the bottom of the web page is a link to all of their social media, which I would encourage you to connect with. So let's dive into this letter of Philemon and we're going to start with Paul's introduction in the first three verses. And in verse one, we see Paul in prison. Let me read it to you. This is the letter from Paul, a prisoner for preaching the good news about Christ Jesus and from our brother Timothy. The letter to Philemon was written by Paul and he's in prison and he's either in prison in Rome or in Ephesus. Scholars debate which one it is. And this letter was written and delivered with the letter to Colossians at the same time, in about 60 to 62 AD. And the letters were hand-delivered by a guy called Tithicus, and one of the key actors in our story, 
Onesimus. Onesimus, the name means useful. He was a runaway slave who belonged to Philemon. But he'd wronged Philemon and he'd run away. But God's got a sense of humour. He ended up encountering Paul and his preaching of the good news about Jesus. Let's carry on and look at Philemon and his family. The end of verse one and verse two. I'm writing to Philemon, our beloved co-worker, and to our sister Aphia, and to our fellow soldier Acrippus, and to the church that meets in your house. Paul is writing to Philemon, and Philemon lives in Colossae. And Paul mentions his wife, Aphia, and their son, Acrippus. Now, Philemon must have been a fairly well-off dude because there was a church that met in his house and we know he owned slaves. And Paul describes Philemon as a dear friend, a co-worker. He describes his son, Acrippus, as a fellow soldier. The terms partner or co-worker are repeated throughout this letter. And partnership is a key point to the whole letter. The Greek word is kainonia or kainonos, which conveys the sense of being partners, of belonging together, of serving and giving to each other. Think on the spiritual equivalent of ant and deck. The Bible project says this, all of Jesus' followers are equal partners who share in the gift of God's grace and love. You know, in Jesus, we're bound together with each other as, as partners, sharing in the mission of the kingdom of God. Today in our lives, what does being a co-worker look like? What does it mean to be a partner in the kingdom of God? Because our society is often hyper-individualistic, particularly as we come out of COVID. I was reminded of this this week as we had a team meeting in work and we were all online in our little boxes. And one thing I've loved about my workplace over the years is there's been a real close family atmosphere, but we seemed really disjointed and separate this week in our meeting. And God wants to restore to us this sense of partnership in the kingdom, which permeates the whole letter of Philemon. If you're not part of a small group, I would encourage you to check one out this week, because that's the place where you can nurture this partnership in the kingdom. Let's look at verse three, grace and peace. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Paul always opens his letters with grace and peace, but it's not just a throwaway remark. Grace is the free expression of God's love. God wants us to receive his grace and be agents of grace to others. And peace is life as it's meant to be lived. It's human beings living in harmony with God and each other. Are we experiencing the peace of God in our lives? Are we bringing peace to others? This is what Paul is going to do in this letter. Paul wants all of his letters to be a means of grace, which result in peace. Today, God wants you to receive afresh the gift of his grace and peace. 
Secondly, then Paul's prayer in verses four to seven. Paul now moves to tell Philemon his prayer for him. And verses four to seven are the basis for all that follows in this letter. The lawyer in me can't help but chuckle as I read these verses, as Paul is definitely buttering Philemon up before he gives him his request. Let's look at verses four and five, which talks about Philemon's reputation. I always thank my God when I pray for you, Philemon, because I keep hearing about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people. Philemon's invisible faith was made, in, was made visible in his love for others. And in a minute, Paul is going to put that faith and love to the test. 1 John 3, 23 talks about the, the command to love one another. You know, it's easy to go around saying, well, I've got faith in Jesus. But it's demonstrated in how we love others. That's why Paul summarises the greatest commandment and says it's to love your neighbour as yourself. John Piper says, love for God comes to visible manifestation when we love others. We live out the greatest commandment to love God by how we love others. How are we doing at loving others today? In your family, in your small group, the person you're sitting next to today. For me, again, as I prepared this talk, I was reminded of some workplace situations, particularly coming out of those meetings we've been having, that have been really challenging and has put my love of others to the test. Who's the person you're struggling most to love today? Perhaps like Philemon, you've been wronged by that person. Why don't we pause for a second now? I just ask you to picture that person in your mind, the person you're struggling to love. And we invite you, Holy Spirit, to help us see that person as a precious child of God. And I just ask you now in your mind to pray a blessing over that person, that they will experience God's love afresh today. Today, your next step Maybe to receive God's grace afresh to help you overflow with love for others. Verse six, which talks about generosity in action. Paul says this, and I am praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ. Paul has thanked God for what he's done in Philemon and now he moves to praying about God, what God will do in him and through Paul's letter. Philemon's faith has led to generosity and that word there, generosity, is the same word that translates partner or co-worker and Paul wants to put this generosity into action. Now, generosity can cover a wide range of things. We can be generous in our spirit, and that's something Paul's going to ask Philemon to do. We can be generous with our resources, giving to others, or generous with our time. I find that particularly challenging. 
I'm sure actually we've all had people in our lives who've been models of generosity and have made a big difference to us on our journey. I was reflecting actually as, as I grew up as a teenager and in my church in Wales, and especially a guy called Graham who's, who's died now, and they and particularly him helped fund me through university and bar school. And without their generosity, I may not have become a barrister and be where I am today. Can you think of people whose generosity has made a big difference in your life? Why don't you turn to the person next to you just for 30 seconds and tell them about somebody whose generosity has impacted you? Let's come back together. Here's a dare for you. Why don't you, when you get home today, send that person a message by Facebook or WhatsApp or a text, thanking them for their generosity in their life, your life, and the blessing that they've been to you. Why don't you encourage them today? And today, is there somebody God is calling you to be generous to in terms of your spirit, your resources, or your time? Ask God where he wants you to put your generosity into action. Verse seven, then entering into God's rest. Your love has given me much joy and comfort, my brother, for your kindness has often refreshed the hearts of God's people. That word there, refreshed, is a military metaphor. And it's about the rest the army takes when on a march to battle. Philemon, as a leader in the Colossian church, is helping people find rest from their daily battles and the restoration they need for renewed warfare. You know, entering into God's rest is one of the key themes of the whole Bible. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 2, we see God resting after he created the world. When we come to Jesus, he says, come to me and I will give you rest. Do we give rest to others in the way we relate to them? Do we put them at ease? Do we give them confidence? Do we refresh them for the battles ahead? As leaders, do the people who are influenced by us find rest in their relationship with us? I was so challenged by these verses as I read them because anyone who knows me knows I'm not very good at resting and I'm constantly on the go, often worrying about the next thing. And as a parent and a husband, I know that I can transmit my anxiety and stress to Helen and the girls. Today, especially on Father's Day, I want to be somebody who brings God's rest, his shalom to those around me, especially my children. Today, your next step may be to ask God to bring you to a place of being at rest in him so that you may be able to help bring rest, refreshment and restoration to those around you. Thirdly then, Paul's plea in verses 8 to 20, the central section of Paul's letter is his request to Philemon in verses 8 to 20 to take Onesimus back. Let's look at verses 8 to 12 and see from useless to useful. That's why I'm boldly asking a favour of you. 
I could demand it in the name of Christ because it's the right thing for you to do. But because of our love, I prefer simply to ask you, consider this a request from me, Paul, an old man. That's probably better translated as an ambassador. And now a prisoner for the sake of Christ Jesus. I appeal to, to you to show kindness to my child Onesimus. I became his father in the faith while you're in prison. Onesimus hasn't been much use to you in the past, but now he is very useful to both of us. I'm sending him back to you and with him comes my own heart. You know, Paul had great authority in the early church and could have ordered Philemon to take Onesimus back. However, that wouldn't have led to the increase in love and generosity for which Paul had been praying. Instead, Paul appeals to Philemon on the basis of love as an ambassador and prisoner for Christ. Onesimus is now a child of Paul, having become a believer under Paul's ministry. Actually, I wonder who handed the letter over to Philemon. Perhaps uh, Tithicus did it and, and, and Onesimus sort of hung back in the background to see what would happen. And in verse 11, Paul uses this beautiful play on words because the name Onesimus, as we said earlier, means useful. And useful, he says, has become useless. But now he's become useful again. In fact, very useful. Actually, in the Greek, there's a double pun on the words because the pronunciation of the word useful is indistinguishable from the pronunciation of Christos. Onesimus was now in Christ. Onesimus is now a changed person. And in Onesimus and Philemon, we have a picture of us and God. We are the runaway slave who became useless to God. But Jesus came, paid our debts, and presents us back to God as very useful. Paul was doing for Onesimus what Jesus had done for him. Paul, when he encountered Jesus, was a persecutor of Christians and he was transformed into the great apostle who laid the foundations of the church. To put it in, into hipster language for you hipsters out there, Jesus and Paul are into upcycling. Now, for those of you who don't know, upcycling is the practice of creating a usable product from waste or unwanted items and adopt it or adopting, uh, adapting an existing product in some way to add value. We have been upcycled by Jesus and we're called like Paul to the ministry of upcycling others. And today, if you've never encountered Jesus yourself, you can come to him and be transformed by him. Let's look at the transformation of Onesimus in verses 13 to 16. And we see him coming back for good with a nod to take that. I wanted to keep him here with me for a while while I'm in, while I'm in these chains for preaching the good news. And he would have helped me on your behalf, but I didn't want to do anything without your consent. I wanted you to help because you were willing, not because you were forced. It seems you lost Onesimus for a little while so that you could have him back forever. He is no longer like a slave to you. He's much more than a slave. 
for he's a beloved brother, especially to me. Now he will mean much more to you, both as a man and a brother in the Lord. Paul doesn't force Philemon. Paul's request to Philemon is for something voluntary and freely given. And in verse 15, Paul looks for God's providential purpose in Onesimus running away. And he says, so that you can have him back forever. As Paul says in Romans 8 verse 28, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Remember what Joseph said in Genesis 50, God meant it for good. Paul is looking for God at work in the situation. And today, whatever you are facing, know that God is working in the midst of it, working for your good. And now Philemon is getting Onesimus back for good. Not that he'll be a slave for eternity, but now they have a new relationship in Christ, which will last forever. And in verse 16, Paul tells Philemon that Onesimus is no longer merely a slave, but now he's a beloved brother. And Paul takes it a step further and he says, especially to me, Philemon must now treat Onesimus as a beloved brother to Paul. So we've got Onesimus, the lowest social status in the Roman world, a slave with no rights, on a spiritual plane equal to his owner Philemon, and now even with the Apostle Paul. And whilst Paul hasn't been specifically addressing the question of slavery, he's worked within a situation and radically altered that slave-master relationship. Now, doesn't necessarily mean that Philemon would give Onesimus his freedom, though he might. We'll come back to that in a second. But from now on, he's going to treat him as a brother in Christ. As Paul said in that Colossian letter he sent at the same time, here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. Finally, in verses 17 to 20, we see standing in the gap. So if you consider me your partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, write this with my very own hand. I will repay it and won't mention, <laughs> and then he mentions it, that you owe me your very soul. Yes, my brother, please do me this favour for the Lord's sake. Give me this encouragement in Christ. The source translates verse 17 as, therefore, since you have me as a partner, take him as a partner like me. And here it is the climax of the whole letter. Paul is taking on himself the role of Christ in reconciling Philemon and Onesimus. He's standing in the gap and protecting Onesimus by asking Philemon to treat him as if he was Paul. Paul is living out in practice what Jesus did for him on the cross. On the cross, Jesus was our substitute. He stood in our place, taking the punishment for sin upon himself in order to reconcile uh, us to God. And substitution is at the heart of the good news. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says this, For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them, and he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. A 
Are we prepared to stand in the gap for others and continue Jesus's message of reconciliation? Jesus did it for us on the cross. Paul did it for Onesimus here. And we are to do it for others. Is there a person, a relationship, a situation in church, in work or in family or even in your neighbourhood where God is calling you to take that next step and stand in the gap today? Tom Wright says this, when people allow the cross to shape their lives, the love of God is set free to change and heal in ways we cannot at the moment even imagine. And in verse 18, Paul says he's willing to pay the price of reconciliation. And he writes this IOU in his own handwriting. And in verse 20, he says, Philemon, I want you to refresh my heart, refresh my soul. In verse 7, we saw Philemon as somebody who refreshed people, who helped them enter into God's rest. And Paul saying, look, do it for me by forgiving and accepting Onesimus to be reconciled into partnership. So as I close today, I want to finish as Paul finishes with his appeal in verse 21. I'm confident as I write this letter that you will do what I ask and even more. What's the even more that Paul is hinting at here? Well, Paul's main purpose was reconciliation of Philemon and Onesimus. But here Paul is hinting at setting Onesimus free. Because God's grace is lavish. We know that from the Gospels and our own experience. The prodigal asked to come back as a hired servant, but he receives the welcome, the lavish welcome of a long lost son. Today, I think God wants to remind us of the even more that we've received from him and a call to pass on to others. And what Paul has asked Philemon to do is not an easy thing and he'll not be able to do it without the grace of God. And Paul closes his letter in verse 25, reminding Philemon that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is available to him. Today, the grace of the Lord Jesus is available to us. God is calling us to be people who refresh the hearts of others, who help others enter into God's rest. God is calling us to the ministry of reconciliation, to stand in the gap for others. Today, we need to receive the grace of the Lord Jesus afresh in our spirits to empower and equip us to the ministry he's called us. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the talk and found it helpful. Why not come along and visit us? We gather at three services across two sites on a Sunday and meet during the week in small groups across the city. More information on both of these can be found on our website. Thanks for listening and God bless.